separation. Our text is found in 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them and be ye separate. I'm going to dare to discuss a very touchy situation. This word, separation, involves sacrifice, discomfort, and even our ambitions. And it may strike at our recreations, our pleasures, our jobs, and even our home environment. And of course, our religious faith. For separation is implied in Revelation 18, verse 4. Come out of her, my people. This subject is not about some new strange doctrine. For separation first took place within heaven itself, a way back when sin entered, and Satan and more than a third of his angels were forced to leave their home. Now don't think for a moment that there were no tears shed within heaven's gates when this happened. For there were billions of vacancies within heaven's Jerusalem. Broken friendships that had existed from times eternal. And these vacancies will not disappear until the redeemed will take the place of these fallen angels. Separation was also the watchword when Adam and Eve sinned. I don't believe that we can fully comprehend what they went through or experienced. Can you just, in your mind, visualize them separated from their Eden home in sorrow, coming to worship God at the cherubim-guarded gates of Eden with the flashing swords keeping them from the tree of life? Then there was separation to be experienced by the antediluvians. There was a marked distinction between those who were called the sons of God, such as Abel, those who obeyed Jehovah, and those who were called the sons of man, such as Cain and his descendants who gave their allegiance to Satan and to his evil angels. After the flood, separation again became mandatory for the people of God. For Abraham was called to leave his home and to separate from all that he had ever been accustomed to. Of this you read in Hebrews 11.8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Let's take another look at separation in the day of Abraham. For both Lot and Abraham were so blessed with an abundance of cattle that there was not enough grazing land for them to dwell therein. Let me read about this in the book Genesis 13, verses 8 to 12. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. Notice, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart on the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like of the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abraham dwelled in the land of Cana, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now let's ex discuss the experience of Lot, because we are living in the very end time when Christ will soon return. And Jesus taught us to compare the experience of Lot with the environment in which we now live. Listen to his words carefully. Luke 17, 28 to 30. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, did you notice those two phrases, as it was, so shall it be? Now, what was that environment like which attracted Lot to make his decision to separate from Abram and choose the cities of the plain? Sodom was located in the Jordan Valley which was at that time the most fertile section of all Palestine. It was the nearest thing on earth to the Garden of Eden. At that time, it had a tropical climate. Sodom was surrounded with hills that were covered with herds and flocks. It was a tremendous center of commerce, abundantly rich, and given to year-around festivity. Life was steeped in pleasure, leisure, and sensual indulgence. The prophet Ezekiel describes it in these words, found in chapter 16, 49 and 50. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, an abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now Lot was well acquainted with Sodom. He had often done his business there. He knew the kind of life that was carried on by its inhabitants. We read of this in Genesis 13, verse 13. They were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Nevertheless, Lot deliberately pitched his tent toward Sodom. Why? He was dazzled by the visions of worldly gain, which he felt would outweigh the prevailing evils. He knew that Sodom was filled with rivalry, feasting, and drunkenness, leading to the vilest and most brutal passions. He knew they were a people who delighted in deeds of violence,
And this is why Jesus Christ, in the scripture we just read a moment ago, said, as it was, thus it shall be in the day when he comes. Now let's take a look at the last night in Sodom. Annihilation is less than 12 hours away, but no one perceives it, not even Lot himself. Two angels are seen entering through the gates of Sodom. They're coming on a mission of destruction, but neither Lot nor the men of Sodom realize that such destruction is about to burst upon them. On this last night, what's going on? The pleasure seekers are filling the streets as these two strangers appear at the gate. Apparently, they are just some travelers seeking lodging. No one suspects that they are divine beings. The men of Sodom little dreamed that their treatment of these visitors would climax their doom. But don't forget, Lot was aware of the wickedness in which he lived. And this was the reason he was at the gate. For it was his custom to invite strangers to his home that he might shield them from the nightly orgies which were forced upon strangers. Let me read this, Genesis 19, 1 and 2. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, arose to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we shall abide in the street all night. Now the angel's refusal was twofold. First, they wanted to test the sincerity of Lot, and secondly, they wanted to appear ignorant of Sodom's evils. After a while, they finally accepted Lot's invitation as he pressed it upon them. Now, Lot was faced with a problem, for a crowd had gathered around as he was trying to invite these two strangers to his home, and these were thrill-seekers who were determined to gain their objectives. What was going on? You see, this was a city full of homosexuals who were inflamed by the vilest of passions and determined to experiment with strangers, hoping to discover some new thrills. Lot knew what they were up to, and arriving at his home, he warned his two guests not to go outside for the danger. But the crowds only increased outside his door. Jeeringly, these homosexuals demanded that these two men be brought out to be immorally abused. Lot well knew what occurred in these situations. So he goes out himself to persuade them from their evils. Genesis 19, 6 and 7. And Lot went out the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Good old Lot. He wanted to be counted. He wanted to be a part of Sodom. But his efforts only backfired. It was like throwing oil on the fire. For the crowd turned upon Lot in a rage of anger, threatening to do worse with him 
than with his guests. And suddenly, as the spirit of the devil took hold of them, they rushed upon Lot to tear him to pieces. But the angels reached out through the door and rescued Lot. Genesis 19, 10, and 11. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now ordinarily such a miracle should have caused these evil men to stop dead in their track. But Satan, they had given themselves to him and they were completely controlled by Lucifer. They were beyond any spiritual help. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 159, I read, The last night was marked by no greater sins than many other before it. But mercy, so long slighted, had at last ceased its pleading. The inhabitants of Sodom had passed the limits of divine forbearance, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. And the fires of his vengeance were about to be kindled in the vale of Siddim. Now, as we have just read this, let's pause here to make a few comparisons. Do you remember what Christ said in Luke 17, 28 to 30? As it was in the days of Lot, thus it shall be when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, let your mind go back a few years. Something has happened in our world in the last half century. The pace of evil has gathered such momentum that today the majority who are found within our cities are openly defying the Ten Commandments. You can actually see the difference. One of the things is that nakedness is becoming acceptable. Many college dormitories have become co-ed dormitories as an accepted way of life. The pill has made infidelity and promiscuous sex common. A large percentage of our teenagers have become cesspools of VD infections that even penicillin and other drugs seem today powerless to stop. Statistics tell us that three out of four marriages that take place, you will find that the bride is already pregnant. There are swinging clubs that are operating within the very church circles today. And I know wherever I talk. I was once located where there was such a swinging club within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Even the divorce rate within our church is the same as you will find in Babylon. Homosexuals now number in the millions in so-called civilized countries of the world. And AIDS has now become the leading cause of death of our young people in this generation. That's alarming. Millions have died of AIDS. And ever-increasing millions await this tragic death. You know, God's Word has revealed with terrible exactness the situation.
I'm reading from Romans, the first chapter, verse 24, 26, 27, and 32. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lusts of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Who knoweth the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death? Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Unquote. Consider with me now what took place in these last few hours of Sodom. The mob have been smitten with blindness, yet they are trying to find the door and break it down. It is at this time that the angels reveal their identity to Lot. Genesis 19, 12, and 13. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Now the angels promise to save Lot and his immediate family, also his married children, if they will only leave Sodom with the angels. What a God. You know, God is so gracious to his people. Now Lot, sensing what's about to happen, rushes out to the children's homes to warn his married daughters and their husbands of the coming destruction. Let me read it. Genesis 19, verse 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked in his sons-in-law. Can you see them? laughing. <laughs> they thought the old man had gone crazy. Sodom to be destroyed? Impossible. Didn't the sun set the same last night as it always did? There was not a sign anywhere of any immediate danger. Finally, Lot returns home in failure and sorrow. It is now that the angels urge him to leave quickly. But Lot delays. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 160, are these words. Though daily distressed at beholding the deeds of violence, he had no true conception of the debasing and abominable iniquity practiced in that vile city. And I ask you, could it be that we have become accustomed to such evils? Could it be that our loved ones are clinging to Sodom? Do we have a wife that refuses to leave without them? How, how is it possible to leave our luxurious homes and give up our wealth, the labor of a, labor of a lifetime? Seems impossible. Leave to become 
destitute wanderers, stupefied with fear and sorrow, you find that Lot lingered finally to the place that the angels had to take them by the hand and pull them out of the city. That's what it says, Genesis 19:16. And while Lot lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Now at this point, Christ himself meets Lot and his family as the angels return to Sodom to perform the work of destruction. And now Christ himself gives a command. Genesis 19:17, And it came to pass when he had brought them aboard, aboard that Christ said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. The time had come when it was fatal to delay. They were even doomed if they would look back upon Sodom. They were to tarry not for a moment, or it would cost them their lives. They must separate, and they must separate immediately. But poor Lot, he's terrified, he's confused, he's afraid to be isolated in the mountains. Listen as he pleads to Christ. Genesis 19, verse 19, Behold now, thy servant <clears throat> hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed upon me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall flee. Unbelievable. Lot had lived so long in the midst of violence with crime on every hand, and now he's afraid to go alone to the mountains? How quickly he has forgotten, <clears throat> had it not been for the angels, they would have been killed that very night by the angry mob. Imagine, can you imagine, afraid? with the Prince of Heaven by his side? What is this man Lot really trying to say to the Lord? I'll tell you. He's trying to say, God, you don't care if I lose my life. He continues to plead that he might go to Zor, that little, small city. You see, Lot had been so accustomed to sin that he did not realize that Zor, too, was doomed for destruction. In mercy, God granted his request. Oh, what love God has for his children. And now, once more comes the final command. Flee quickly. Even here, the violence of the fiery storm as it descends upon Sodom. Now they begin to run, but wait. One fugitive stops to look back, and immediately she turns into a monument of judgment. Remember what Christ said? Remember Lot's wife. Genesis 19:26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt as all hell was falling down upon the city of Sodom. 
In Genesis 19:24, we read, The Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Instant destruction falls up from a cloudless sky, destroying the pagan temples and the palaces, burning the costly dwellings with an eternal fire, burning the mob who had insulted the angels, and also the daughters and the sons-in-law who had rejected God's last warning message to separate and to come out. These were all consumed. For hundreds and hundreds of years now, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah have been thought to be at the bottom of the Dead Sea. But God hath purposely kept his hand over the ashes of these cities until this very end time, permitting them to be discovered at this time that we might be awakened to the reality of God's judgment against sin. And in mercy, he has given us one more chance to prepare to separate ourselves from sin and sinners, and thus escape the coming judgments of God soon to fall upon this earth. Jonathan Gray, a Seventh-day Adventist archaeologist, with some of his associates, recently discovered these lost cities. In fact, he tells us that he had visited their location some five different times, taking pictures and then giving lectures of his discoveries. It was my privilege to view his video. I learned that the actual location of Sodom and Gomorrah was some 400 meters below sea level. The surrounding area of these former cities is without vegetation. The cities themselves are nothing but total ash, exactly as described by inspiration. I'm reading Second Peter 2.6. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. Although these cities are now nothing but ash, I was amazed, for I was able to see the outline and the shapes of the buildings that once existed. Even some of the window openings and the doorways are still visible. These three cities, Sodom, Gomorrah, and Zor, lie at the southern end of the Dead Sea, with a small mountain in between them and the Dead Sea. Their exact spot can easily be seen by photographs taken from outer space. The other two cities of the plains that were also destroyed are located at the northwestern part of the Dead Sea. All five locations are ghost towns. They are now in solid ash, as the Bible states. Let's look especially at Sodom and Gomorrah. Had, we find they had Sodom had four gates. At each entrance, there was built a great sphinx. The shape and the mound are now in ashes, but you can recognize it as such. They are similar to the famous sphinx that you will find the famous sphinx that you will find in Egypt. The streets are plainly visible <coughs> with the top of the surrounding walls encompassing the city with their tooth-shaped top 
as all ancient cities that existed. Of course, everything is greatly deteriorated with age. But what really caught my eye was the remains of millions, and I mean millions, of small balls of brimstone, powdered balls of sulfur that were mixed in the mountains of ash. These were the brimstone balls that fell upon from the sky. Scientific study reveals that they burn with an extreme temperature of from 4,000 to 5,000 degrees centigrade, which quickly turned the entire city into nothing but ash. These remaining balls of sulfur were not completely burned out because they had become so covered with the ash that they lacked the oxygen to burn. Each ball of sulfur left a visible burn ring surrounding it that was like burnt milk crust in substance. I watched as the archaeologist took his knife and cut these balls of brimstone out of the solid rock-like ash while he reminded his listener that in no other place on this earth, aside from these five cities, can you find these balls of compressed brimstone that are mixed with ash, varying in size from a small pea to as large as a half meter. I watched as Jonathan Gray took a small ball of this sulfur and set it ablaze. I watched as it burned completely until there was nothing left. As the archaeologist described the stench of the burning sulfur and its choking ability of smothering the person, I realized here the mercy of God in his judgment against the people of Sodom, for almost instantly the entire population of Sodom became unconscious from the sulfur fumes before they were burned to death. Jude mentions this destruction, verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. As I saw these things, surely I recognize that God has preserved the remains of these cities so that you and I could see with our own eyes the absolute accuracy of God's word in describing the coming worldwide destructions so soon to fall upon these cities of wickedness. Remember what it said? As it was, so shall it be. I read again Patriarchs and Prophets, page 161. I was deeply impressed. Listen carefully. If Lot himself had manifested no hesitancy to obey the angel's warning, but had earnestly fled toward the mountains without one word of pleading or remonstrance. His wife also would have made her escape. Now, isn't that something? I continue reading. The influence of his example would have saved her from the sin that sealed her doom. But his hesitancy and delay caused her to lightly regard the divine warning. How is it, friend, in your family? Are you preparing? Are you ready? And here is another thought provoker 
Patriarchs and Prophets 161, in which the servant of God is speaking about Mrs. Lot. It states, while her body was upon the plain, her heart clung to Sodom, and she perished with it. Actually, Mrs. Lot was rebelling against God. She questioned his judgment in taking away all her possessions, and she had not expressed any gratitude for God's divine deliverance. Her sin revealed her to be unworthy of life. And now I have another question. Are we lightly trusting in God's provisions for salvation? Have we overlooked the price Jesus paid for our redemption? Will we too despise God's mercy? You know, God bears long with us, but let me read again from that book, Patriarchs and Prophets 162. Quote, The flames that consumed the cities of the plain shed their warning light down even to our time. We are taught the fearful and solemn lesson that while God's mercy bears long with the transgressor, there is a limit upon which men may not go in sin. And when that limit is reached, then the offers of mercy are withdrawn and the ministration of judgment begins. You know, we condemn the sinners of Sodom, and rightly so. But are any of us likewise guilty? What do I mean? Well, listen to this. Patriarchs and Prophets 165. The Redeemer of the world declares that there are greater sins than that for which Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Really? Listen now. Those who hear the gospel invitation, calling sinners to repentance, and heed it not, are more guilty before God than were the dwellers in the vale of Sodom. And still greater sin What's this? And still greater sin is theirs who profess to know God and to keep his commandments, yet who deny Christ in their character and their daily life. Let me turn to the book Revelation and see what God says. Nevertheless, he said, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Finally, I read Patriarchs and Prophets 165, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the cities of the plains than for those who have known the love of Christ and yet have turned away to choose the pleasures of a world of sin. Friend, God is waiting for an immediate answer from you now. For as in the days of Noah and Lot, there must be a marked separation from sin and sinners. Patriarchs and Prophets, 167. The state of corruption and apostasy today is beyond our conception. It is existing not only physically before our eyes, but it is existing also in religious circles. It was presented to the prophet John in Revelation 17, 18. In vision, he saw Babylon as a great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth 
And just before its destruction, there is a call given from heaven, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Revelation 18, verse 4. Before I close, I have two more quotations I want to bring to your attention. I am reading this from Testimonies, Volume 6, page 195. Before the overflow scourge shall come upon the dwellers of the earth, the Lord calls upon all who are Israelites indeed to prepare for that event. To parents he sends the warning cry, Gather your children into your own houses. Gather them away from those who are disregarding the commandments of God and who are teaching and practicing evil. Before I finish this quotation, could I insert a few of my own thoughts? I believe this includes the professed Seventh-day Adventist universities in our day who are teaching our youth ecumenicism and also Roman Catholic liberalism in theology and which are allowing homosexuality to be promoted, be promoted on their very grounds. And if you have any question of what I have just said, I suggest that you obtain from Jan Markison his latest video, Roman Catholic Attack on God's Seventh-day Adventist Church. You will be amazed. You know, friend, it's one thing to send your youth of age to a university to obtain the needed education, and they know that they are going to be taught evolution. They know that the Bible is going to be downgraded. They expect these things. But is it another thing for your youth to sit in a classroom by men who are ordained ministers and who are telling them that they no longer believe that the earth was created in seven days. They no longer believe in many of the things which our prophet has told us. Our young people are bewildered. And so I continue reading. We are told that the time has come, and I quote, get out of the large cities as fast as possible. Establish church schools. Give your children the word of God as the foundation of all their education. And then I want to read one more. This is letter 90, given in 1897, and you will find it in that little booklet called Country Living. When the power invested in kings is allied to goodness, it is because the one is responsible is under divine dictation. When the power is allied with wickedness, it is allied to satanic agencies, and it will work to destroy those who are the Lord's property. The Protestant world has set up an idle Sabbath in the place where God's Sabbath should be. And they are treading in the footsteps of the papacy. For this reason, I see the necessity of the people of God moving out of the cities into retired country places where they may cultivate the land and raise their own produce. Thus, they may bring their children up with simple, healthful habits. I see the necessity of making haste to get all things ready for the crisis. And so, friend, 
I want to once more quote some of the phrases that I have used in this presentation that are taken from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And may they somehow sink into your hearts. Notice these words. Arise. Hasten. Escape for thy life. Flee. Escape to the mountains. Separate from sin and sinners. There must be no compromise between God and the world. I believe, friend, the time is here when we should, as it says in Psalms 91.1, dwell in the secret place of the Most High, to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And of course, remember the words, come out, be ye separate. Somehow the Savior seems a little nearer When I kneel down to pray And fellowship with Him a Rise to face the world of living.